When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. We made it to Friday. Congratulations. I am thrilled we all got here. Thanks so much for listening to the Talking Real Money podcast. I'm Don McDonald, and uh, as this is a Friday, we're going to get freaky. It's Freaky Friday with questions and answers. Okay, it's not very freaky, but it is a, a nice change of pace from the topics we usually have. These are my favorite editions of the show. I love the Q&A stuff. Maybe it's because this is what I've been doing since, well, with money, since 1988, taking your questions on the radio or now podcast. So you can send your questions in two different ways. You can call them in to 855-935-TALK, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and record your question. Also, you can use that same number to talk with Tom and me live on Saturdays from 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, when we do our radio show in the Seattle area. So you can call us live for two hours on Saturday, 855-935-TALK. The other way to leave questions for the podcast is to go to TalkingRealMoney.com and click on the little microphone button. There's a, a recorder built in to the website that records a really reasonable quality question the audio quality is pretty good usually better than the phone calls and that is where we will begin with one of those that came in through talkingrealmoney.com hi tom and don i love the show my name is brooke um i have a little of both uh vbr the vanguard small cap value and avuv the avantis small cap value fund so i have two small cap value funds in my taxable at m1 and I'm hoping to simplify and just hold AVUV. Um, what do I need to know about selling the VBR? Uh, or is it pretty simple? It's a small amount of money, but I guess I'm so buy and hold that I've never sold anything. Thank you. Well, Brooke, thanks for the question. Let me explain it. The process is relatively easy to sell through M1 or any broker. You just put in a sell order usually just a market order to sell at whatever the next price is in the market. That's the easiest way to do it. And if you do it during a trading day, you'll probably get filled within a couple of minutes. Your sell will happen. The money will come in three days later. However, there are a couple of things you need to bear in mind. If you purchased VBR in the last 11 months, hey, selling it is going to be painless because you won't have a capital gain, you will probably have a capital loss, which gives you a deduction on your taxes. So, And because they're not identical funds, you could move immediately, move that money immediately to AVUV, the Avantis fund. However, if you bought this fund prior to, well, prior to a year ago, and the farther back you purchased it, the worse the news is going to get, you're going to have a capital gain. And that means you're going to have to give the government a portion of what you made. 
And that requires a little calculating to see how big that will be because it may cancel out any benefits you might have long-term with the more aggressiveness potentially of AVUV. If you have a gain, I would be reticent to sell. I really wouldn't want to do it unless you're in a year where you have a really, really low tax liability because I don't see the benefit to doing it. It's not going to simplify your life much because you already have the funds in your portfolio. So what you could do is just add future money to AVUV and then wait until the day when you can uh, better afford the capital gain when you'll be in a lower tax bracket. So you've got to take the taxes into account. And that's the real fly in this ointment. Thanks for the call, Brooke, or the question. It wasn't really a call. It was through TalkingRealMoney.com, as is this next question. Hi, Tom and Don. I appreciate your show, and our prayers go out to Don and his family. I recently heard Don mention that he was going to tax loss harvest by selling funds and moving them into Vanguard's VT. I currently own VT shares in a taxable account and want to tax loss harvest by selling and repurchasing a similar ETF. Can you suggest a Vanguard ETF that the IRS would not consider as substantially identical? I want to obviously avoid the wash sale violation rule. I was considering Vanguard's S&P 500 VOO. Do you have a better suggestion? Thanks for your thoughts. Oh, this is such a, a wonderful, timely question. Not easy to answer, but wonderful and timely, because like all tax questions, it's open to interpretation. (laughs) So we have to tread lightly here. It's actually never, ever, ever been adjudicated. There's never been a case yet. So you can think, well, the odds are good. I can just like go for, you know, the VOO or I can go for the Vanguard Total US or something. But you can't, or you shouldn't. Who am I to say you can't? Nobody knows because it's IRS interpretation. I don't know why these rules aren't hard and fast. There need to be just hard and fast rules. Wouldn't that be much simpler? Here's the deal. There's a, in practice, there is a 70% threshold. If the portfolio is 70% or greater, identical to the other portfolio, then it could violate the watch sale rule. And when you're going from VT to VOO, which is the S&P 500, the vast majority of the S&P 500 is the bulk of the VT because those S&P 500 companies make up such a large percentage of the total portfolio. So you probably would get into trouble with that. Probably. Well, no. If they wanted to, if they audited you and decided to fight you, it's tough when you've got VT. That's why it's hard to tax loss harvest VT. And that's why I use small cap funds, international funds, et cetera, and just went to VT as a parking place. The only thing you could do is maybe reverse that and go with a small cap. U.S. and a small cap international for a while because there's no way they're going to equal 70% of the of the VT because the small cap make up such a small percentage and just park it there for a while. Um, hmm. so if you go with almost any other total market index, you're going to smack right into that 70% rule because of the proportion of the 
of any total market index that are made up by the S&P 500. If I think of anything else, we'll share it, but nothing springs to mind right now. Um, And I like the idea of staying with indexes. So I'd probably go just to keep my toes in the market for 30 days. I might go small cap, but it's a lot more aggressive. It's a lot more aggressive. It's going to be more volatile. Could have bigger losses in a downturn. Oh, there are no good answers to this one that, that I can think of right now. But thank you so much for the great question. It is something you have to be very wary of, and it is a reason why I did not tax loss harvest VT, because I went, where am I going to go? Where will I go for that period of time, that 30 days? Good news is the 30 days is probably half up now, so I can go back to my small caps and things. Thank you again. Appreciate the question. And now another one from TalkingRealMoney.com. Hey, guys. uh, Christopher, um, thank you so much for doing your show. I really dig it. Um, I was doing some research today on JPEI, JP Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF, J-E-P-I. In the holdings, there's something I don't understand. There's a holding by the name of SPX underscore nine. I believe it goes all the way through one through like 12, SPX underscore one all the way through 12. And I don't really know what kind of holding that is. And I was wondering if you gentlemen could actually explain that to me. And then also in the on, uh, another uh, description of this ETF, part of it says these derivatives are functionally equivalent to a massively leveraged position in the, another ETF, the XYLD. Um, massively leveraged in an investment sounds super sketch to me. And I was wondering if that's related to this SPX. And then also, what's your take on something when it's described as massively leveraged? That just seems like a bad idea. Anyways, thanks, guys. Uh, looking forward to hearing what you uh, what your answer is. Appreciate it. Well, aren't you going all eclectic? J-E-P-I. <laughs> that is a really funky fund. Not very old, of course, because it's from... JP Morgan, they're trying to do something special. They're trying to make magic with the portfolio. And they what they're trying to do is what everybody wants. Make you a lot of money with very little volatility. But you always have to give something up. And in this case, you're adding some underlying real risk with the leverage. But... They're managing that away, so you you do pay a lot. For an ETF, 35 basis points is pretty pricey. And what you give up, what they're doing is they're straddling the S&P 500. (laughs) Sounds kind of kinky. They're straddling the S&P 500. On one side, they got a covered call. On the other side, they've got a put to protect the downside. So they're giving up money in the buying of the put and hopefully taking in money from the selling of the call, but the overall impact. I've done a lot of covered call writing in my life, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, pretty much like everything else. And when it doesn't, it it's really bad. What you give up is upside. You give yourself some downside protection, but you do it in a very complex package that may not be worth the effort and 
I, I don't think is worth the money. And the fact is this, this doesn't have a very long track record. It uses things called ELNs, equity-linked notes. And they work like covered calls, but they do it with an entire index. But, again, it's a Wall Street gimmick. And I don't trust Wall Street gimmicks, and I never will trust Wall Street gimmicks uh, until they have, well, decades of history under their belts as effective and in the client's best interests. And I, I just doubt that so often. So I'd be very, 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 very cautious with JEPI. It's, I don't think it's even two years old yet. So we don't have a lot to go on. Thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Now, we can move over to the phone calls. I apologize for the lower quality. That's just the nature of cellular phone calls. <laughs> I just Speaking of which, I just called uh, T-Mobile the other day. My T-Mobile coverage in my house is awful, awful. I like them everywhere else. I just hate them in my house. And uh, they always, it's so funny. They want to blame me when the fact is they don't have enough towers around here and they don't want to put any more up. They can't handle the load from Disney World. They don't want to put any more towers up, but they won't admit that. Please be honest. Try it. It's kind of fun. But anyway, I digress. This is phone call time. 855-935-TALK is the number into which they came. And here is our first phone call. Hey, guys. Uh, my question is this. Which is more efficient in terms of total realized cost in a taxable brokerage account in the uh, 24% bracket? One, a mutual fund like Fidelity Zero Total Market uh, that's going to create a taxable capital gain each year due to distributions from turnover. or the lowest cost ETF alternative with an expense ratio of three basis points like ITOT. Same question applies for FZILX with a 0% expense ratio or VXUS with an expense ratio of seven basis points. Also, what is the value to getting paid dividends quarterly compounding earlier versus annually um, over the many years that, you know, you would have the products, I would imagine this would be significant. I know you're going to say this is splitting hairs. Either one is going to be great, but I want to know which one is more efficient. So pay the three or seven basis points or pay the taxes on the capital gains and only get dividends once per year. Uh, thanks for your time. Enjoy the show. Bye. Yes, you are splitting hairs because we're talking about differences, differences that are so tiny, so very, very tiny. First, let's start with the capital gain situation between the Fidelity Zero Fund and uh, Fidelity Zero Funds and an ETF. As you know, ETFs do not distribute capital gains. However, the Fidelity Zero funds haven't distributed much in the way of capital gains. But the thing about capital gains is, from a fund, we don't know when. People with Vanguard got a big surprise with their target date fund when they had a huge 
huge capital gains distribution. So quantifying an unknown like that is very difficult. However, I gave it a try. I went back to 2021 when the Fidel, the FZILX, the International, distributed about a 31 cent capital gain for the year. Uh, you can divide that by four and you come up with about seven and a half cents, which is just a tiny bit more <laughs> than the expense ratio for the the uh, VXUS, the Vanguard International, Total Market International US. So close. <laughs> I mean... They're right there. They're right there, neck and neck. However, however, there should be something that tips the balance in the favor of the Vanguard Fund, and that is the fact that the Fidelity Zero Funds are a gimmick. I really don't like that Fidelity brought these out because all it, it was a marketing stunt. Because the difference between five basis points and zero basis points is negligible i i mean even if you're a multi-millionaire it's not a lot of money however they did it for marketing and the fidelity zero funds are emulators they are not they don't own all the stocks because it's more expensive that way so they emulate indexes i would lean toward etfs just for that reason now as to the distributions quarterly versus annual Again, tiny, teeny, tiny, tiny differences. Particularly tiny because equity funds tend not to distribute, particularly total market funds, tend not to distribute very large checks. So the difference between investing it quarterly and annually is going to be teeny, teeny, tiny. The slightest of edge. you got to give the slightest of edge to more frequent reinvesting of that because the markets tend have tended to rise more than they fall but it is it is truly it's literally quibbling over pennies i would go for the better products for me and not base my decision on a few cents here or a few cents there dollars many dollars thousands of dollars difference like the kinds of things we see between c shares and no load funds yeah that's worth considering because then we're talking sometimes Two percentage points versus two basis points. That's a big difference. But in this case, eh. But I I, I, I know, I know. I can tell you what I would do because it's what I do. I go with the ETFs. And I don't buy the zero fund. And I care about fees. If I, you know, I can buy anything I want. I can use any mutual funds or ETFs I want, and I will not use the zero funds. I just don't think they're comparable. Thank you so much. And now we have yet another telephone call to 855-935-TALK. Hey, Tom. My name is Jim, and I'm retiring at the end of this year, and I need some of your advice, please. First, I took your risk quiz and learned I had a 50 risk score, which showed me I was terribly out of balance coming into retirement and coming into this year. So, like many people, I've seen some pretty significant losses and realized I need to rebalance. I've since begun my rebalancing as I go towards requirement, and I have a problem figuring out which 
ETF categories to put my rebalancing in. I've looked at your 411401.com for ideas, but there's simply too many companies there, and my current company was not listed. Vanguard is my custodian and manages about 35% of my funds, but frankly, I have to wonder why I pay them, as all they did was put me in BND, BNDX, VXUS, and VTI, which makes me think I need to fire Vanguard. My question is really this. Can you make a suggestion for someone heading into retirement what ETF fund categories they really need to be invested in? I know you recommend that a retiree have at least 10% of their funds in a small-cap value ETF like AVUV, which I do now. But the other ETF fund categories, I wonder where I should place the remaining 90% of my money in. Would appreciate your suggestions. Thank you. I know I've been on vacation, but you forgot about me? Hey, Tom? Well, Tom's not here right now. I hope you don't mind if I answer your question. I'm Don. Okay. <laughs> Pathetic, aren't I? Uh, I'll answer your question for you. This is too, let's, again, let's make this simple. Let's make this so simple. You already have a portion of your equity portfolio invested in small cap value. Cool. Now, the additional 90%, take 60% of that and put it, well, now, wait, make sure you have your emergency money somewhere, okay? That's first, whatever that needs to be. Then, whatever's left, take 60% of that money, put it in BND. You already have that through Vanguard, right? I'm not going to charge you anything for this advice, though. Put it in, or keep it in BND, but just do it at a brokerage firm. There's no commission. Go to Schwab or just change your Vanguard account to a regular Vanguard brokerage firm. And then, ready? 40% of what's left goes into, oh, this is going to be a tough one, VT. So you own VT, BND, AVUV. Your portfolio is now 50% stocks, 40 or 50% bonds, 50-50, right where you should be with the 50 and it's so simple, you don't need to use Vanguard. This is one of our beefs with the Vanguard Advisor Program. Do they do anything for you? Do they do enough? Well, yeah, no, they're a lot cheaper than firms like ours. A lot cheaper. Well, not a lot cheaper, but cheaper. But what do they do for that money? They put you in a well-diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, which is what we tell you to do for free on the show. Diversified portfolio based on your risk tolerance and your need to take risk and make it as simple as humanly possible because it doesn't need to be this complicated. Sure, we can make it more complicated, but if it's more if you make your own personal self-managed portfolio more complicated, you are not going to do the things you need to do to rebalance. And you're also going to freak out by some of those little things like the AVUV that can get very volatile. Remember, you're looking at an entire portfolio, but simplify it. VT, BND, AVUV, done. Thanks for the question. 
Now, as we approach, wow, we're really um, running a little behind here. Uh, it's going to be a little longer than I like, but that's okay. We're going to do one more call that came in to 855-935-TALK. Hi, Donna, Tom. Hey, uh, great show. Love listening to you guys on your podcasts and when I walk the dog every night. But um, I had a quick question for you. Um, I am disabled and retired and disability and my wife is retiring and she has her uh, she was with southwest airlines and has her um investments through empower which is a investment facility that uh, southwest airlines uses and i've got all my stuff for the vanguard and i'm just wondering is it better to kind of leave leave it in empower or just put everything into one in the Vanguard to make it more simple. Um, my concern was thinking about, you know, if they have a cyber attack ever on Vanguard, at least we'd have a backup uh, to be able to get to get at funds while they work it all out. But um, I just wanted your input into that and see if uh, we should consolidate it all. There's probably about, um, I don't know, close to 500 in each one. And, um, but I love your advice, and I appreciate all you do, and uh, you guys take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Apparently, Southwest Airlines hasn't figured out that fees matter. If they're using Empower, they don't really care about the fees that their employees are paying for the investments. They bought into this, apparently, I'm guessing, bought into this whole belief that these smart money managers are worth the high fees. I'm, I'm looking through the list of investments that are available through Empower. And, and this really is the issue. This is the issue. It's not whether you should have it at Empower or at Vanguard. It's what kind of funds can you own at Empower? Well, the funds you have have expense ratios, the lowest I can find on their list. Oh, wait, there's another page. So let's be fair and look at both pages, shall we? The lowest fee I can find on their list is 60 basis points, 0.60%. That's ridiculous, particularly when you can buy the entire stock market, U.S. and international, and pay seven basis points. You pay nine times more for the cheapest fund in the Empower family of funds, and there are some that are well over 1% per year. Their own funds are very expensive. So it's not a question of which is a better place to park, it's which is a better place to invest. And Vanguard is a far better place to be investing, or Fidelity, or Schwab, than with Empower, because their products are expensive. I don't know why American businesses don't care about the fees charged. They buy what these salespeople tell them, and they don't. I don't believe that companies like Southwest in their HR department are living up to their fiduciary responsibility to their employees when they could get them a plan that offers Vanguard or Fidelity funds or uh, ETFs of all ilks that, that charge Less than a third of a point a year. Less than a third. They think they're doing right. I think they're doing wrong. We disagree. I would absolutely say put all your money at Vanguard, even if there's a cyber attack. 
They have backups upon backups upon backups upon backups upon backups. And if you're really worried about that, then open another brokerage account at Fidelity or Schwab and get some of the ET, some of the great total market ETFs like VT or the two Fidelity total market, total US and total international or, or the iShares or whatever it is. But you want lower fees. These fees your wife is paying are too darned high. Bad Southwest Airlines. Bad. And lots of companies. Because you buy the salespeople's pitch. You do. You buy into it. Because they bought you dinner or something. They took you out golfing. They put you up for a night at a nice hotel somewhere. Whatever it is. And your employees are the ones who are paying for it. I mean, really. I, I want to ask executives at major corporations. If you have a 401k at your work and the fees run at uh, you know 70 80 basis points average a year and you could have funds or ETFs that have costs half of that or less which is better for your employees seriously which is better you know the answer so why do you keep doing what you're doing oh you're lazy okay thanks thanks for being honest because if you're really honest that's what you're going to say i'm too lazy the salespeople came to me, and it was a good deal. Don't have a lot of costs associated with it, so the company's saving money. I don't care if the employees get bad products. I don't care. I don't, I don't care if they overpay. We're underpaying, and it's all about the company, right? <sighs> yeah, uh, get it out of Empower as soon as she's done. I mean, I like Southwest as an airline. I haven't flown them in a long time, though, because of Delta, because they're so blasted good. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Delta's so oh oh oh! I got to tell you, uh, just before I go, I was flying out of Laguardia because I was there for my brother's um, memorial. Thank you all for the kind thoughts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, um, anyway, so was in the new term, the new Delta terminal, which is not completely done yet. But holy cow, it is no longer a third world airport. And of course, because I got the Delta card and I'm status, I went into the Sky Club. Oh my gosh. Delta. Delta, Delta, Delta. You've outdone yourself. The place is huge. It is gorgeous. And the food is to die for. I felt like I was eating in a fine New York restaurant because the food was actually prepared by the chef from a fine New York restaurant. And there was a ton of it. All kinds of great new th And they switch it up. Oh, Delta. Kudos. Kudos. Plus, your, your employees are wonderful for the most part. Got one woman who was a little grumpy. But, hey, she's flying with people who are jerks. So, anyway, thank you so much. Um, you want to call us? We're going to be ready for you on Saturday between 3 and Three and five Eastern. Yeah, three, three and five Eastern. Uh, senior moment. Noon and two Pacific. And you can call us at 855-935-TALK and talk to us. Actually have a conversation with us as opposed to just leaving your question, which is fine too. Take good care of yourselves. Have a great next day or two or 10 or whatever. Tell a friend or two or 10 about the podcast. Please share it on social media. There's a share button in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify. Share it. Share it with your friends. Share it with, heck, your enemies. It's always nice to be nice if you can. 
Say, even though I hate you, I thought you might like this. Um, And, of course, family. And then leave a review at Apple Podcasts that wasn't jerky, kind of like the last one, because people don't like what we have to say about crypto. Okay, you don't like it. It doesn't mean the podcast sucks. It just means you don't like it. And if you don't, well, I guess. To each his own. But I hate it when we get a negative review because we have an opinion. And a pretty good one, I think. But anyway, thank you. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you again very soon because we're going to keep doing this for as long as our mouths keep flapping. I'm Don McDonald. And uh, as soon as I'm done editing this, I'll be reading about and probably once again talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.